welcome to the Carlant Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Dr. Victoria Hendrick, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlant Hospital Psychiatry Report and a clinical professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. I'm also the Director of Inpatient Psychiatry at All of You UCLA Medical Center. And I'm Zachary Davis. I graduated from UC Santa Cruz with a neuroscience degree, and I'm a content coordinator at Carlot Publishing. I'm also a pre-med student who will be applying to medical school over the 2022-2023 application cycle, and I'll be joining Dr. Hendrick on this podcast. Psychogenic polydipsia, also known as primary polydipsia and podomania, was first described in the 1930s. It is surprisingly common with a prevalence rate between 3 to 25% in institutionalized patients. In this podcast, we will discuss how to accurately diagnose and manage psychogenic polydipsia in patients. But first, a preview of the CME quiz for this podcast. Which of the following medications, when used with an antipsychotic, can reduce compulsive drinking? A. Naltrexone, B. Mirtazapine, C. Chlorpromazine, or D. Aloperidol? So, Dr. Hendrick. What is psychogenic polydipsia, and what are its associated physiological effects? Psychogenic polydipsia is characterized by an excessive intake of water. It was mainly observed in patients with psychotic disorders who drank too much water, leading to frequent urination and low sodium levels. The cause is unknown, but these patients may have acquired a defect in hypothalamic thirst regulation. Several psychotropic medications such as phenobiazines like chlorpromazine, SSRIs, carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, aloperidol, monamine oxidase inhibitors, amitriptyline, and valproate are thought to cause or worsen psychogenic polydipsia. This is most likely due to the uncomfortable sensation of dry mouth caused by the anticholinergic effects. The excessive intake of water leads to a dilution of the blood. On a chemistry panel, It'll show a low sodium under 135 milliequivalents per liter, as well as low serum osmolality. In addition, the urine will be diluted with a urine osmolality under 100 milliosmoles per kilogram and a low urine sodium level. In what types of patients is psychogenic polydipsia most commonly seen? Psychogenic polydipsia is most commonly associated with schizophrenia with an incidence of 11 to 20%, but it can also be seen in patients with other psychotic disorders, mood disorders, and anxiety disorders. Patients with restrictive eating disorders also show a higher risk of developing electrolyte abnormalities, such as those seen in psychogenic polydipsia due to poor nutrition. There's also a condition called beer potomania, where people drink beer excessively to the point that they don't get adequate nutrition. This results in low sodium and other electrolyte abnormalities typical of psychogenic polydipsia. MDMA or ecstasy can also cause psychogenic polydipsia in some users. 
One of the risk factors is nicotine dependence, a common comorbidity in patients with schizophrenia. So smoking cessation can help decrease the risk of psychogenic polydipsia. Small studies have reported that the opioid antagonist naltrexone, 50 milligrams daily, when used adjunctively with an antipsychotic, reduces compulsive drinking. The two other conditions that also cause polydipsia and polyuria are diabetes mellitus and diabetes insipidus. How can clinicians rule out these conditions, and what are the differences in pathophysiology between them? In diabetes mellitus, the primary problem is hyperglycemia. This causes polyuria because excess glucose is being dumped into the urine, which draws excess water along with it via osmotic diuresis. The excess thirst is a result of the dehydration caused by the polyuria. We can rule out this condition because the key diagnostic features of diabetes mellitus, namely hyperglycemia and glycosuria, are not expected in psychogenic polydipsia. In diabetes insipidus, the primary problem is not excess water intake or hypoglycemia, but instead it's lowered secretion or response to antidiuretic hormone. In nephrogenic diabetes, antidiuretic hormone secretion from the brain is normal, but the kidneys are less sensitive to antidiuretic hormone. This is sometimes caused by long-term lithium use and consequent chronic kidney disease. There will be signs similar to psychogenic polydipsia, such as dilute urine, but we can rule out diabetes insipidus because unlike psychogenic polydipsia, serum sodium will be high since the serum is concentrated from free water loss. Another condition I want to touch on that's important for providers to rule out when diagnosing patients with psychogenic polydipsia is SIADH, or Syndrome of Inappropriate Antidiuretic Hormone Secretion. SIADH is common in elderly patients taking psychiatric drugs or medications such as oxcarbazepine, carbamazepine, and serotonergic antidepressants. Other risk factors include being female or underweight. These medications can cause an overproduction of ADH, which causes the kidney to absorb excess water. As a result, the serum becomes dilute, but the urine is concentrated. This is unlike psychogenic polydipsia, where the urine is diluted, so we can rule SIADH out. What are some of the best treatment strategies to manage psychogenic polydipsia? The most important treatment strategy is fluid restriction, which sounds simple in theory, but in practice, not so much. The problem lies in preventing the patient from consuming excessive quantities of water. You can always write an order in the chart to limit a patient's fluid intake, but on a busy inpatient unit, that's difficult to enforce. Patients will have access to a bathroom and can find ways to drink water. These patients may need one-to-one -one supervision to ensure they don't overconsume water and have nursing attendants monitor patients by keeping the door ajar when they use the bathroom. In addition to the fluid restriction strategy, it is important that we monitor the progression of psychogenic polydipsia. Providers should try to determine if any of the patient's medications might have triggered or worsened psychogenic polydipsia. Medications to look for typically include anticholinergic antipsychotics, 
that cause dry mouth, such as chlorpromazine, haloperidol, or tricyclic antidepressants. How do we know if water consumption levels are being successfully restricted? If water consumption is being successfully restricted, serum sodium will improve rapidly. If the sodium remains low, you can supplement with sodium chloride tablets one to three grams daily. Is the treatment plan the same for all patients with psychogenic polydipsia? Well, in severe cases of psychogenic polydipsia, when serum sodium levels drop to 120 milliequivalents per liter and lower, patients can show signs of delirium, along with seizures and obtundation. Serious cases involving cerebral edema and central herniation can be fatal. We need to place special attention on these patients and have them transferred to a medicine unit for closely monitored sodium repletion using intravenous saline, 3% saline solution. Dr. Hendrick, what should patients do to prevent recurring episodes of polyuria and or hyponatremia? That's a great question. To prevent recurrent episodes of hyponatremia, patients may need to have sodium levels checked at regular intervals. However, depending on the severity of their psychogenic polydipsia, daily sodium supplements may need to be prescribed. Additionally, behavioral interventions and group therapy strategies have shown promising results in preventing relapses. Any final thoughts on this topic? As providers, we should also educate patients who are at risk of developing psychogenic polydipsia of preventive methods. A risk factor for the development of psychogenic polydipsia is nicotine-dependent, a common comorbidity in patients with schizophrenia. So smoking cessation can help decrease the risk of psychogenic polydipsia. It's also been found that the administration of 50 milligrams daily of the opioid antagonist naltrexone, when used along with an antipsychotic, can reduce compulsive drinking. This clinical update is available for subscribers to read in the Carlet Hospital Psychiatry Report. Hopefully, people will check it out. Subscribers get print issues in the mail and email notifications when new issues are available on the website. Subscriptions also come with full access to all the articles on the website and CME credits. And everything from Carlisle Publishing is independently researched and produced. There's no funding from the pharmaceutical industry. That's right. The newsletters and books we produce depend entirely on reader support. There are no ads and our authors don't receive industry funding. That helps us bring you unbiased information you can trust. Go to www.thecarlottereport.com to sign up. You can get a full subscription to any of our four newsletters for $30 off using the coupon code LISTENER. As always, the links you need are in the episode description. Thanks for listening and have a great day.